0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many programs to see. You're also Kate, to like to debate the merits of all that they've seen: comedy, genre,
1: reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse. Let's get the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Colson, joined us ever by Noel Kirkpatrick, and uh, Noel, uh, we're gonna have a short one today. And I say that, and I say that up at the top, so that hopefully it will happen. Because right. we're only talking about like five shows, mm-hmm. but last week we were only talking about like six shows, and that went like two hours. So
2: to be fair, to in our defense, we did talk about the news for like an hour and a half. No, yeah, there was, was a lot was half of
1: half an hour news <laughs> last week. We have much less news this week. Um, we basically have one news and the Emmys and we don't care about the Emmys. So that will hopefully help. But yeah, no, it's like there was other TV this week. I didn't watch all of it um, because instead I was watching the Great British Baking Show because it is back on Netflix and also Channel 4. And that means that I am back covering it at Woo! the AV Club, which is very exciting. Less which means exciting. I get to
2: read it on Saturdays, which
1: I'm very excited about. Oh, that's fine. It's it it's I, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to your thoughts um, if you watch it. And uh, we'll oh, have, no. I'll, ha, I'll have a few of my thoughts a little bit later in the episode. Yeah.
2: I'll definitely watch it. Don't worry. I'm definitely watching it. Um, but yeah, I'll expect a text message or something on Saturday okay. Okay. after I
1: read your review. It's mostly going to be a lot of like, we've got 12 bakes to describe in not that many words. Can we do it? How efficient can we be in my recapping? Um, but yeah, it is, there is some interesting stuff with that. So we'll be talking about that later in the show. Less exciting is when Vegas Review and Bake Off have an episode at the same time. And there's no screener for Bake Off and that. But hey, that's why it's going to be a short one today, guys. That's okay. Uh, it's, it's still going to be interesting. There's some fun TV to talk about. Uh, at the top of the show here for news, we wanted to mention the Emmys. Because they are a thing that happened. You do watch them. I actually did not watch
2: any of them. I said I was. But I ended up only watching a clip. In which <laughs> John Oliver gets his little statue out of that weird box with that hand thing. Um, and then I I did also watch the upload of Samantha B
1: trying to break into her box I watched Samantha breaking into her box yes B yes um, that's the one I watched
2: and her family googling how much that bottle of champagne was worth to find out it was only 28 dollars
1: and 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 then what I enjoyed is that there was a response somewhere about how like that's that's overpriced it's 23 by me yeah uh, exactly yeah uh which was delightful also just the revelation that the Box is probably more expensive than the booze, which yeah. seems right. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, we didn't watch the Emmys because we didn't care about that them. But um, the the thing I am excited about is uh, while I do not care about most of the shows that won, um, not because I don't care about them, but because I don't feel like winning the Emmy means they're better than anything. Um, I, I am I'm happy for Watchmen. Got eleven Emmys, Shits Creek got nine Emmys, um uh Last Week Tonight got some, Drag Race got some. I mean, there's RuPaul's now the winningest TV host in history. He has five Emmys, um, and that is the most of any host ever. So congratulations to RuPaul. Like, Shits Creek should have won stuff for last year, but am I sad that? Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara have their first Emmy since the early 80s? No, no. So should they have both won? Should everybody from Schitt's Creek have won? No. There are other shows that deserved it. Much more. But I'm not sad that the Schitt's Creek team got some recognition. This is a Canadian sitcom. They never get recognition. So uh, I feel like, you know, it's yes, it's for Schitt's Creek, obviously, but also a little bit of my heart's like, Kim's Convenience! You know, like, it's nice to see some Canadian love. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, Mandalorian got seven.
2: Yeah, um, I think a lot of this speaks to the degrees to which there just was a very weird Emmy campaign season this season, which that there really wasn't one. Um, it was very limited in how they could get people to vote for stuff. Um, my couple of takeaways from this basically amount to... I don't think that Schitt's Creek really deserved all of this sweep. It's like I said to you earlier this week, it's very much a return of the King sort of situation at the Oscars where, Oh, this is, this is it. We, we fell asleep on this show for too long. So <laughs> it's over. So everyone gets, everyone gets an award this time. Yep. Um, and I think that's fine. Like that's going to happen. Um, like, especially with a show like Shit's Creek that just everyone sort of slept on. Um, the other the other side of that is that Netflix continues to just not be able to break into the awards categories at all. Uh, and this year it's doubly ironic because Netflix is arguably responsible for Schitt's Creek being popular. Yep. <laughs> but it's not a Netflix original or any way. It just streams on Netflix, but it airs on Pop TV here in the U.S., home of also One Day at a Time now. Um, and it's just wild that a show that they popularized is not a show that they can capitalize on now. Um, and so it's just really weird that friggin' Pop TV, I think, has more Emmys <laughs> than yeah, Netflix certainly. does.
1: For, I mean, and Netflix has some nominations and stuff, especially yeah. for kids programming and stuff. But yeah, and, and comedy specials. But, but yeah, for like, you know, your main TV categories. Yep. Yeah.
2: So it's just really wild. Um, the Watchmen winning a number of things was really well deserved, as I think you and I can both agree, um, because Watchmen's the spectacular show. Its finale notwithstanding, because um, I don't, I still don't like that episode. Um, but that's great. I think Mandalorian winning was uh, not super surprising. I would have been more surprised had they walked away with like best drama, mm-hmm. um, which I think was a possibility.
1: How? Um, Oh yeah. I just I just be so different than Emmy voters.
2: It would not have been my choice either because it takes literally 7 episodes to get good. Um it's perfectly fine up until like the jailbreak episode. Um it has a couple of good a
1: episodes.
2: And then it finds a, it finds a decent gear. Um but at the same time Succession was always going to win. <laughs> so, um that's kind of how I feel about it. Um Yeah, I enjoyed everyone kind of being casual, um, and I enjoyed how thrilled and excited Zendaya's whole household was that Mm -hmm. she won, because that was fabulous.
1: Yeah, Zendaya, youngest ever uh, winner in her category, Mm -hmm. and uh, looking fabulous, by the way. Some really terrific... Uh, fashion statements and mm-hmm. choices. The Shits Creek team, like doing their own like quarantine bubble thing, so that they could yeah. celebrate together, was really interesting. And uh, they there were some neat choices there. But like, yeah, Regina King, of course, unsurprisingly, dropped head gorgeous looked fantastic. Uh, Zendaya looked great, and there there were a bunch of other really interesting. You know, because I listened to Tom Lorenzo's Pop Style Opinion Fest, right? That's mm-hmm. what keeps me apprised of all of the the, the award seasons going on. Um and then of course uh front of the show, Fresbelina at Fresbolina, Emma Fraser, uh Fraser from uh the UK. It's just, like her coverage of that, uh between those two on my Twitter feed and in my podcast feed, uh that's what keeps me following all this. And yes, I just co sign everything that they were saying (laughs) Uh, because there was a lot of really good looks. I I enjoy, it was fun to see the people who were able to, because of course lots of people I'm sure were nominated and didn't have lots of money to be able to just buy gowns and stuff or have people like send them stuff. But the people who were able to, it was fun to see them get to enjoy that aspect of it, but in a really distinct way, like Tracy Ellis Ross's thing or her dress too. Like they set up her own, red carpet in her backyard or whatever it was. Um, But people who could just be like, you are literally going to wear this as long as it takes you to take this photo, this one photo that you will post. So it can be a completely ridiculous outfit that you would never usually wear. You don't have to like get out of a car in it. So you can, you know, it it led to some really interesting fashion choices. Uh, And, and then the people who served multiple looks respect. Very nice. Um, Any other Emmys thoughts? No. Yeah, that's all I got. Uh, the other news we have is that Supergirl will be ending after next season. So its upcoming, I believe, I believe sixth season will sixth. be its final sixth. season. And um, we all know what this means. It means writers start writing towards Supercore. And they're not going to. But in my, in my head, it hasn't happened yet. So, like, it could happen, even though it's not going to happen. But it could happen, but it's not going to happen.
2: I mean, why, how can it happen when Monel's clearly going to leave his future wife oh, and come back? Oh my God. Kara?
1: Oh my God. It's Listeners, dumb.
2: I've, I've made Kate yeah. so angry that she's just going to cancel just, the
1: recording for the rest of the, rest of the podcast. This is really, it's just so stupid. It's just so stupid. Uh, well, the fact that they are choosing to end the show and it, it's unclear to me whether this was a, like the actors want to already be done or they don't want to negotiate contracts or, you know they they have enough story they have a good idea for a story but it would really be the end of the show kind of thing or they want to send supergirl off before uh lois and and superman starts like there are many different reasons that c w might be ready for the show to end or that the writers or the that the cast might be ready for the show to end but um it really is. Uh, it really is interesting, like with where they left things off and what they could theoretically do in their last season. I'm not all that optimistic that they're going to nail it, um, but I am curious about what this means for the CW Arrowverse. They're trying to not call it the Arrowverse, but we all still call it the Arrowverse because it was supposed to be Bat- Girl, Kate Kane and Melissa Benoist, you know, uh, like it's supposed to be Kara and-, and Kate. Leading the charge as the new leaders of the nope, not so much. So, good, I, I,
2: it's a good way to sidestep that issue that Ruby Rose's uh, departure, yeah, and the way that they decided to deal with Ruby Rose's departure, um, yeah, yeah, sidestep that particular bullet. Um, I mean, I'm kind of, ai am generally sort of okay with them heading off, um, in part because the show's been in the process of retooling itself again. Um, And the sixth season is going to be even more of a retool, uh, given everything. Um, So I think that it's pretty much okay. And I'll be curious to see what they do. And like you, I'm curious about what this means for the slate of the CW DC superhero shows. Um, In part because the Superman and Lois shows going forward, we know that. But there has been nary a peep, nary a word about Gr- Green Arrow and the Canaries. Yeah, like, There's been weird. nothing. Just complete radio silence. Not even a mention of it at the uh, DC Fandom event a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's just been just, n- no one is, everyone is seeming to pretend it is not a thing. Um, which makes me very sad because the, pi- the back the pilot. It was pilot, so good. It was very, very good. Um, so I'm very curious about what kind of juggling is happening here. Um, behind the scenes, and particularly at Warner Brothers television, um, and how much of this is also just Warner Media throwing its weight around over um, Greg Berlanti, who's not used to having weight thrown around him, mm-hmm. um, and the larger things happening on the DC end of Warner Media, all of which are quite extensive. So I don't think that Supergirl is a victim of that, um, but I'd be really curious to see what's going to happen, not this coming CW season, but the next CW season.
1: Yeah. We'll, you know, we'll see. I'm certainly, yes. I'm also very curious, um, but we will keep you posted on that as new things develop, but we should head into our weekend in TV this week at the end of the show. We're going to be talking about Enola Holmes, which is the movie that movie. debuted on Netflix this, this week, but I say movie. Um, because first of all, it's on Netflix, we're counting it because we want to. Second of all, because you know, we're going to be talking about various Sherlock Holmes adaptation TV shows in relation to it. And third of all, because it really feels like they want this to be like a recurring TV movie event thing every so often, like a franchise. And Mm -hmm. especially when you combine that with Netflix as a platform, that feels much more like... Every six months there's a new TV movie, not every six months there's a new, like, feature length in the the cinemas kind of production. So we'll talk more about that when we get to the segment, but uh, I feel like it's a legit choice for us here at the podcast. Stand by it.
2: Yeah, I'm okay with it. I have, like, a number of thoughts about Netflix's kind of pilotization of movies along with all the Viacom, CBS stuff, uh, with Comedy Central in particular, um, that I think all feel of a piece of one another of what's happening right now. So we'll talk about it. Um, But, spoiler alert, the movie's pretty solid.
1: (laughs) Yeah, More more on that at the end of the episode. Uh, But for now, let's listen to a little music, take a break, and come right back with our Week in TV. This week in TV, we're kicking things off with the premiere of Wilmore on Peacock protests. Then I'll have a few thoughts on RuPaul's Drag Race Vegas Review, their finale, Leaving Las Vegas. Um, And then uh, I, yeah, I, I watched all of the great pottery throw down. Of course I did. So Noel and I will talk a bit about that uh, as well as season one, which Noel has seen. Then I'll have a few thoughts on the Great British Baking Show uh, season 11 or series 11 premiered, Cake Week. But we'll talk more about that next week once Noel's had a chance to watch. Um, but Noel did watch Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous season one and he'll share some thoughts on that. And this week we were delightfully I mean, I assume I was delightfully surprised. Maybe you knew this was happening by the return of DuckTales for episode eight the phantom and the sorceress I don't know why that voice happened I apologize Um, so first up is Wilmore uh, which is the new late night uh, topical talk show from Larry Wilmore in the vein of the nightly show which you know the late lamented uh, not forgotten by this podcast uh, nightly show that he hosted back you know right they, they ended it right before the 2016 election hmm hmm I wonder if it would have been useful to have that perspective, but then we might not have gotten, you know, Robin Thede stuff and Black Women's Sketch Show. Like, we've gotten a lot of great stuff from the, from those creatives since. But the point remains, cut off in its prime. Will that happen with Wilmore? We'll see. Talk about that first. Uh, so let let's. This show is very very low budget. I was curious <laughs> what exactly it would look like. I think that's it is generous. Larry Wilmore <laughs> in a chair. Talking to people over Zoom on giant screens. Yeah. That is what it is. Um, and if that's what it takes for me to have Larry Wilmore on my TV each week, I'm okay with it because I enjoyed this. Uh, the structure seems to be uh, two, maybe three topics for an episode. Uh, like an introductory topic and then a main topic. And then a couple guests, you know, chiming in with thoughts on that and and having conversations. Uh, that, that seems what Wilmore... Is most centered on is having conversations with people who have particular insight or experience with them. So uh, this week they're talking about protests and specifically the Black Lives Matter protests, but also how that intersects with sports, how that intersects with the you know history of more recent uh, protests. Like they he has on Cory Bush, who's running uh, for the I think it's the House in Missouri. Uh, representing Missouri uh, who was of course very involved in the Ferguson protests. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of conversation around the efficacy and the, the methods of protest and, that are currently happening. And, you know, When is it helpful? When is it performative? So, what did you think of these conversations? I mentioned Corey Bush. Also, Megan Rapinoe is the guest, and then they end the segment, they end the episode with Amber Ruffin coming on to plug her new show, and doing a delightful bit at the end. Um, What What did you think? So, I like that
2: they carried over basically the the spirit of the nightly show to this, Um, even taking some of the bits. Like, lightning round is a bit, um, and it was really Mm -hmm. delightful to have Wilmore and uh, Amber Ruffin, whose new show premieres today as we record. I'm very excited to watch. Um, Doing lightning round, just like they used to do on the nightly show. Um, Hi, dog. Um, I, I, I did like this for the reason at the top that you said is, like, I get Larry Wilmore back on my TV. And... I didn't really realize how much I kind of missed his presence as a commentator on current events until he just started in on the started in on talking about Trump and about the protests and about the election and him being like I told you all I was right. <laughs> um and all of that and I just really I missed his rhythms and cadences and Personality in terms of talking about These topics or any topic Really so I was really really Pleased by even like the stripped down Nature of appearing to be in A warehouse <laughs> <laughs> Which is really just an empty soundstage With a comfortable chair A t- small table And a small glass of uh, bourbon Whiskey some sort of amber colored Liquor liqueur. Um, And I was, I was just like yeah This is good I mean, it's not the full nightly show experience, but I'm going to take it. So I think that the entire overall approach is going to be really good. It's only an 11-week engagement, which makes me a little sad. And Wilmore has been very kind of clear about, we're probably not doing more of this um, after this 11 weeks. Um, But maybe, but probably not, which makes me very sad. But I'm going to
1: take these 11 weeks and I'm going to treasure them a great deal. Uh, well, and also that it carries us through the election, yeah. so and you know the immediate aftermath. So I, I, am grateful. At least we have that. Yeah,
2: that's then. That's exactly how I'm approaching it. So I think that this is a, this is very much the show that the nightly show was, just kind of stripped down to its barest components, li- both figuratively and literally. So I enjoyed it. I thought both of the interview segments were solid, and were. Were meatful and laid back in equal measure that I think worked for both their both of the guests and for Wilmore in particular as like an interviewer. So I think that it was just a really casual but good conversation for both sides. So I really enjoyed that, and I also acknowledge I also appreciated the acknowledgement that the WNBA has been out here for just fucking years, man just years and now yeah. everyone
1: else is like they oh hey out in front. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um I I could have even taken more um a, a more clear uh critique of all of the performative nonsense. Yes. Um but I appreciate that instead they chose to you know make sure that they were mentioning the things that are happening for example with the NBA that are more meaningful. So like Yes, all of the slogans everywhere doesn't really do much or mean anything. But, you know, it is great that they're converting some of the stadiums into voting locations. So let's, you know, let's let's make sure we're giving, we're not just critiquing the performative stuff, but we're also actively promoting the meaningful, um, you know, developments around sports-themed protests. But yeah, like, when you realize it's only been four years since uh, Kaepernick started kneeling, that's like... It feels like so much longer than that. And I think not just because of 2020, no, no, no. just because of everything. Because of everything. No, so,
2: like, I legitimately did not think that was only four years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really, because the, the anniversary, like four year anniversary was not that long ago. So, um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, anyways, uh, it, it, at least we've come further on that than I would have expected yeah. four years ago. Uh yeah, I will be watching. I'm looking forward to having a Wilmore and Ruffin back to back on Friday. It's gonna be good.
2: We'll get into it next week, but I read a little bit about like the general format of the Amber Ruffin show today or yesterday, and I'm very excited for what their approach is. And I'm also I did not realize that she had grabbed Jenny Hagel from
1: <gasps> I didn't realize that Yeah, either. Jenny
2: Hagel's the head writer for it. Um Oh, very. Yeah, nice. no. She uh, Ruffin immediately grabbed her after they okayed the show and pulled her to be her head writer, uh, just because of how well they work together. Um, so there, Hagel's her head writer, and I just, just, I'm very excited about the other like three members of her writing team are also all very, very good and talented people. So I'm really, really very excited about uh, watching that show tomorrow morning or later this evening. <laughs>
1: Yeah, definitely. Oof, that's exciting. Um, okay, our next show is Vegas Review, or RuPaul's Drag Race Vegas Review, which had its finale, uh, uh, which is aired by the time you guys all hear this, Leaving Las Vegas. And uh, I just figured I would mention it because I thought I was surprised by the structure, which is half not wrapping up everything from before and half coronavirus. <laughs> like, uh, so, you know... First of all, the, unfortunately, absolutely, just complete dud of a Vanjie and Cameron date, uh, just like, it, like, is a little painful. There's, like, so much silence. And then, so, so what's your favorite food? I like this. And, I, I, you know, I, I like that. Like, eventually, like, cheese pizza, like, not even with, like, toppings? No. Just cheese.
2: I like a good cheese pizza, too, but it needs to, like, have, like, good cheese and, um like, really kind of potent sauce and good crust. But I like a good cheese pizza, too, so I'm not going to knock that.
1: <laughs> but but that's maybe not the conversation right. you want yes. on the, the first date that you're really excited about because you really like this person as a person and you know you guys want the same things and you have the same goals in a relationship and then, and you're realizing that there's just not chemistry. This isn't going to work. Damn it. I have to get back out there and it sucks out there right now. Um, so yeah, they, they did a good job of building, of building it up and then just really capturing the, but I will say that um, this last few episodes has really seen Cameron come much more out of her shell and, and, it's great. It's so fun. Uh, Cameron has a really interesting personality, and you did not see any of that by design on Drag Race season ten. Uh, Cameron was very intentional in not getting involved in anything. Um, so having a chance to just see a cup like see some actual like personality pierce through some of those layers uh, of armor has been really neat. The they handle the dismount shall we say, of the, okay, well, this didn't work, so we're just going to go back to being friends, gracefully and respectfully, uh, I think, in my opinion. And then all that's left is the Asia and Naomi and Derek drama, some of which is resolved and some of which is not. And then as they're talking about, like, the timing of it is is, is really hilarious because as they're talking about the the terrible date the night before, uh, is when they start talking about how Broadway just closed down. So, like, the t- it's, like, really coincidental timing. And then they, you know, they're worried about coronavirus, but they're going to go do their show. And then that's the end of all the filming. And then from there on, it's all just, like, self-filmed, self-shot kind of stuff. And uh, all things considered, they they make an interesting episode out of it. They... Um, Check in with the queens every so often. They update out, like, how are they doing in quarantine? Uh, you know, who are they quarantining with? Vanjie and Silky, who were neighbors before, have gotten their own place. Because, <laughs> make a joke about how the, the the landlord wants them to to move out and get, the, get a place for the two of them. Because people are tired of them yelling at each other through the walls. It's super um, fair.
2: Super duper fair. Yeah.
1: I can believe that. Uh, and and they've started a podcast. They have since stopped doing the podcast, which I find hilarious. They lasted until like the beginning of July. And that's the last episode. So, um, yes, that also tracks with so many people during quarantine. I, I, I see you and I feel you. It doesn't track with um, us, though. What else?
2: Week 27.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Every day. Every day when we don't have, you know, job commitments. Yeah. But. Um, okay, so the, uh, <laughs> the the last thing is that they do manage to tie up the Derek and Asia drama. I think pretty well. The the Naomi and Asia drama gets handled pretty early in the episode, and in a way that that works. And then the, then it's all down to Derek and Asia drama, and having having it come down to Asia saying you were disrespectful and mean, and I left because you were being malicious towards me and they like but why you're not supposed to leave you have to you have to like you don't just leave when you're fighting i'm like yes i'm not gonna not leave so you can yell at me more and be mean at me like stay i want to keep punching you you should punch you back because like i understand some people communicate that way and like it's they don't take the things as personally and they're able to um like just say all the terrible things let out all the anger realize you don't mean them heal and move right on, right? Some people work that way. Derek seems to work that way. Asia does not work that way. and there's something wrong with being like, you're going to be mean to me, I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> um, so watching that, like, dynamic, I thought was was interesting. And I really like that we see Asia stand up for herself. Derek wants her to apologize. And that's not going to happen. Um, so, so the fact that they managed to put it all together with the... Um, the closing kind of zoom conversation and, and talk about how their perspectives on this have been impacted by being, you know, on lockdown and everything for the past several months. And like, Hey, wouldn't it be great if we could do our show again? Whereas before um, Asia was like considering leaving the show because she had such a problem with Derek and with the, the other Queens, like, that made sense. And I thought they, you know, whether, you know, how accurate it is and how much is producers being like, guys, you need a happy ending. <laughs> you need a happy ending to the season. Um, who knows? But, but I thought that they sold it. I thought it worked. And then they end, no, they end the, the series finale, theoretically, theoretically, series finale with um, the news, you know, cause they don't know what's going to happen with the show that um, two weeks after this final, like zoom call to wrap up the, the show, um, the, the Vegas review show, not the live show. They are all notified that the show is going to be back in Vegas, January 28th, 2021. They're going to all be back. I'm like, okay, I know that this gives you your happy ending you want for your TV show. And I like, yay, they're celebrating their, you know, it's it's an opportunity to work. It's all these different things. That's great. I mean, do we really think it's going to happen though? I mean, do, do we really think it's going to happen? I don't think it's going to happen.
2: No, I, I don't think it's gonna happen. I know like a bunch of stuff is going back into production this month and next month, but um, the larger question is, are people going to come to your show? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, because traveling's weird and I mean, I can't get I, I, I don't want to get into it because it'll depress me.
1: <sighs> yeah, yeah, some people will come. Yeah. Should they come, and will enough people come? Anyways, it it does let the season end on a nice note. So there's that. Yay, season ending on a nice note. Uh, Speaking of ending on a nice note, Gentle Uplift is the name of the game. As we go into uh, uh, the the reality offerings uh, here, or continue, I should say, with the reality offerings, we have The Great Pottery Throwdown. And uh, I watched all three seasons of it. Um, And you watched, did you finish season
2: one? Yeah, I I finished season one, yes.
1: And uh, I co-sign all the stuff you were saying. I think it's really fun. I really liked the second and third challenges. Um, There's some shifts as you get into the third season, because the third season is um, on channel four again, instead of BBC. And so now instead of there being 10, there's like 12. So there's more episodes. And most of the episodes have two challenges, not three. So it's either a throwdown or a spot check. Um, So, you know, there's, and there's a new host and there's one new judge. So, the The main Potter guy is still there, but the the hand, um, the person who does more hand building is a different judge. Yeah, for that season. It's, but I th- I, you know, I thought it's it, so it spooky works.
2: the the parallels that happened with yep. the move to Channel Four. <laughs> so spooky. Yeah.
1: <laughs> How about that? Um, but I I do think it overall works and is and is charming, and I liked some of the challenges. I liked the structure, and. I just it's such a different approach to have your main male judge be the one who rather than being domineering and deciding whether he's going to withhold his approval or give you a handshake is the one who gets emotional and starts crying not over like. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, but over the sense of accomplishment and perseverance in the face of adversity and in like self-doubt, overcoming self-doubt. That's what makes him emotional. If there's a good pot or good, you know, just some sort of ceramic that a person has made and they were really insecure about it beforehand, even if it's like, even if it leaks, he's like, but look, you made it. You made it. You did it. Or if he's a little
2: disappointed, he starts to cry too. Um, but mostly (laughs) what you were talking about.
1: So, yeah, I, I was definitely on board. Were you happy with the the winner of the first season? Um, generally, yes.
2: Um, the first season suffers real bad from which of these people is it going to be real early? Um, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's aggressively clear the top three very early on in the first season um I don't know how well that holds up in the next two but in the first season it's just pick your winner now um by like episode mm-hmm. two maybe three um it's generally really clear um but I still really enjoyed the overall arc of the season and the show's approach to things like I I'm disappointed that they cut one of the challenges in the third season because I like doing both the spot check and And the throwdown. I especially enjoy the throwdown because watching these talented home potters be forced to make a sphere uh, (laughs) and just watching him do it and go, wait, what what kind of sorcery is this? Uh, (laughs) is just really delightful. Um, And I really enjoy that. But at the same time, that the, like the throwdown challenges in particular are both very quick and are also skill-based in a lot of ways, but also don't seem to be taken quite as seriously as the spot check. It's factored in, but I feel like it's given the least amount of weight of the other two challenges, um, which I think is good. Like I like the fact that both the spot check and the throwdown challenges matter
1: air quotes quotes, but
2: really like the main make is what feels like the deciding factor to the decision which i think is really great because that's the thing that takes sometimes upwards of seven days to finish and it's just it makes for surprisingly compelling television i think so i really enjoyed it we're gonna definitely go back through and watch like seasons two and three at some point um we just did not have time to start anything this week
1: yeah well and also just having something like this, there's just not enough time for them to think yeah you just have to go you just have to do and whereas you know you have to have to be so careful in in the main make you know because if you miss if you don't work the clay enough if you overwork the clay like these little things can go wrong on the first day and you won't know until day five so you have to be really careful and really thoughtful and really thinking ahead and the the third forces you to be completely in the moment. Just go and trust your instincts, trust your experience, and see what happens. And if it if you completely crash and burn, it is not enough to send you yeah. home. If you get, get first place, it's not enough to save you. If you, you know, destroy the main make, it might throw a tie. Yeah. You know, there are definitely some people who, you know, at least the producers and the judges justified who they saved based on the uh the 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 on or, or the spot check but like it's much more just about hey let's all do this crazy wacky thing together yes. and yeah it's really neat it's that element of like the
2: kind of the way i've been thinking about it is and this kind of factors into the show's musical aesthetics as well which rely really heavily on uh brit rock for their um song choices which i find very delightful overall as just like a choice but both of the spot checks and the throwdowns, like you say, are, like, fun. Um, and I think about the, in particular, like, the technical on uh, Bake Off, where it's fun, but it's also, like, a stressful fun. Um, but it's still stressful. Uh, whereas both the spot check and the um, the throwdown are just fun. And I really like that element of play that comes into all of this, that I think is really important to their creative process, but is also something that gets lost in something like Bake Off, where, you, A, you're following a recipe, and people are still having fun a lot of the time, depending on like dynamics and everything, and hosts and a number of factors. But here, just the fact that you're getting messy, I think by necessity, involves a sense of play and fun. That... Um, provides a relief to the fact that once it's in the kiln, they can't do anything about it. And you need that pressure release in a certain way that I think is really important for the show to give both the audience, but also to give the contestants. So I think it's a really well-balanced show overall because of that sense of play that it incorporates.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Our next show is The Great British Baking Show or The Great British Bake Off, which is back for season or series 11 on channel 4 and collection eight on Netflix oh, fuck you Netflix Oh, man fuck you <laughs> oh my god just renumber them Netflix just renumber them ugh. and series three is the great British baking show the beginnings and series one and two are not available it's just oh anyways um so I'm not gonna we'll leave this to talk about until next week but um we'll I'll just mention a couple things uh Sandy is not hosting the show this year. Instead, we have Matt Lucas, uh, who is fine. I miss Sandy though, and the the whole production is bubbled off. So that's the biggest change: is that in order to go into production during 2020, they had everybody quarantine at home, and then they have to leave their families. So, it's like the core, one of the core most important things that makes bake off really special is that they go and they bake for a weekend and then they go home and see their families and rest and recover and practice the next thing that's going to happen and do their
2: jobs and then
1: go (laughs) and do their jobs so that it really opens up who can compete. You know, you don't have to have money. You don't have to uh, be retired. You don't have, you know, it opens up a very different field of contestants if you can still have a job or go to school while you're doing it. Um, Or, you know, you, you have you you can be a, a person who watches the kids and you don't need a spouse who's watching the kids in order for you to go. You know, it, it opens things up a lot. So instead of doing that, they filmed it in six weeks in a bubble at a hotel uh, with a skeleton crew at the hotel and just like all the all the crew, the you know, the crew and the, the bakers and the judges and everything contained. Um, so that has got to make a significant impact as we get head into the later parts of it, because instead of having five days off, they're going to have, like, a couple days off or a day off before they go to the next episode. And let, let's see what the dynamic in the tent is going to feel like once you're on week five and, you know... That, that guy who always cracks the jokes and does the funny voice is more charming when you've had five days away and he's not like in the room next to you talking really loud on the phone, you know? So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, we'll also see what happens with the showstoppers, especially when they can't go home and practice, practice it for, right. for a week, you know, especially the more, the more um, complex and, you know, like structural things that always happen at certain points in the season. So uh, we'll see what happens. I appreciate that they wanted to to do the show and this was their workaround. Um, it is very weird to see all these people interacting with no masks, but it's now, you know, they mostly just pretend they, they talk about the very beginning of the episode about coronavirus and here, here's what they're doing. They're going to have to be away from their families that, you know, all that stuff. Um, but then they just don't. <laughs> and so it's very odd to be watching it now because it's a combination of, yes, in the middle of a pandemic, let's do this. This is worth maybe exposing yourself. But also, if they actually are quarantined completely away, then why not? You know, if they can't work there, if they're furloughed from their job, at least they can do that. You know, like, so it's these worrying emotions about it. Um, and the, man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna warn you. The hugs at the end are gonna hit you so hard. You're gonna be like, oh they, oh they can just like hug each other. They can just like this person that they have just met, but they really can. They can just like give them a hug and it's fine, and it's just fine. Oh my god, twenty twenty. Um, so be ready for that. Okay. Uh, but I will look forward to your thoughts. I think this. I think the episode is structured well. The signature is a Battenberg. I could have sworn they've done that before, but I looked and they haven't. Oh, so it's yes. a
2: Battenberg. As soon as you said that, I was like, they've done that before.
1: They've done it as a technical in season like two, okay. but, but yeah, but like I know mean, a couple people have made Battenbergs, okay. you know, but it hasn't been the actual like signature or showstopper before. So that was interesting. And it's similar to that uh Sarawak that they did last season where they had to make the shapes inside, you know, but they haven't actually done it. So I'm thinking we must be thinking of other baking shows that have done it. But so the, and then the technical is fun and I won't say what it is. So you get to the experience of the reveal. And then the showstopper is 3d cake bus of your celebrity, your celebrity hero. Okay. And some of them work great and some of them do not. Um, but they all are made with love. <laughs> <laughs> so I will look forward to your thoughts. I like this cast uh, the, like the bakers. I think there's a good mix. Um, I'm excited about them and I have a couple favorites already and I, I, Of the the people I like already, at least one of them is definitely not going to make it far, but I have to root for them. You'll figure out who that is, I'm sure, pretty quickly. Um, And then a couple other ones, I'm like, okay, okay, I'll watch it. Yeah, you're contending. Okay, I see this. But I think there's a nice, like, blend of things. So there's a few people that are, unless something changes dramatically, going to be out soon. But there's a bunch of other ones that are in the middle that could really go either way, uh, which is always exciting, so... We'll see what happens. More thoughts on this next week. But let's go over to Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. What is
2: this? This is a kids show? Yeah, so this is an eight-episode animated, uh, CG animated uh, kids program that dropped on Netflix uh, this week, um, September 18th. So last week, maybe. Um, Last week? Last week. Yeah, last week. Last Friday. Um, That takes place before during and after the events in Jurassic world the first Jurassic world movie um, and this is important to note because the TV show centers around six teenagers who have been selected by various for various reasons to be the pilot group for Camp Cretaceous a basically sort of summer camp type deal that would be would have been part of the Jurassic world park experience in addition to the general sort of theme park thing um needless to say everything goes badly
1: <laughs> i'm shocked yeah, i'm shocked
2: um it's a very diverse ragtag group of kids you've got a dinosaur fanatic you've got a bookworm kid who definitely should not be there you've got a athl ath- You've got a track star who's, um, is sponsored by the corporation that runs Jurassic World. Um, you have a influencer. Um, you've got a, uh, guy whose parents, like, do a lot of business with the park. And then you've got the daughter of the ranch who supplies all the beef for the park. Um... So the dinosaur expert got there by beating a video game that no one else had beaten that Jurassic Park, the Jurassic World people had put out, which is delightful and not at all realistic. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so they all get chosen. They go um, and things immediately start going bad, uh, badly immediately. I will note that one of the camp counselors is voiced by Jamila Jamil, um, not doing an accent, just doing Jamila Jamil. Um, which is delightful and I very much appreciate that. Um, the show is confounding in that I don't know if it's good or bad. Um, some of this may boil down to the aesthetics of which it has that very flat, glossy DreamWorks animation look to it, which makes sense because it's a joint project between Netflix, Universal, Amblin, Amblin and DreamWorks Animation. Um... So it has that very kind of flat CG style that I don't particularly like. Um, but the dinosaurs all feel like they, they've been green screened in or done in a different program. Um, they sometimes lack weight. They sometimes look... The best thing that my partner I could kind of come up with is that they look like the dinosaurs in those old Discovery Channel specials about dinosaurs. Do you remember those? Or
1: seen yeah. them in school? Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, they kind of look like that, which is weird considering that the rest of the show generally looks pretty good. Um, but I also chalk it up to the fact that a number of the production elements had to be done from home because they were finished beginning and finishing the show when the pandemic hit. Um, so I think that factored into a lot of the looks of the show, particularly the dinosaurs, which would have involved more animation than the humans necessarily do. But it just has this weird disconnect on the visual palette that I'm that I have trouble reconciling. Um, the other problems involve the fact that the kids are all like down the line, kind of terrible, and I just want all of them to be eaten for various reasons. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not a standard thing though with any dinosaur and kids. Thing? Yeah,
2: it is, but in this group in particular, I just want them all to be eaten for the most part. Okay. Um, uh-huh. But that gets to, like, the weird thing about the show is that I really appreciate two things about it. A, I appreciate the fact that, and this was a Spielberg, like, mandate, he's one of the executive producers, uh, was that the kids be put into legitimate danger. And it's not, like, a toned-down version of Jurassic Park or anything. So the kids see adults get eaten by dinosaurs. The kids are in various states of legitimate danger of being eaten by dinosaurs or in some sort of mortal peril sort of situation. And I really appreciate that. I also appreciate the fact that I do actively hate most of these characters because that's, that's a big swing to take, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, especially for a kid's program. It's a big swing to take. And I like that. I don't like any of them. And yet I do. I a finished all eight of these episodes uh, they're 24 minutes. Um, and B, that I would almost certainly watch more of this show, especially based on how it ends. Um, Which is also not something I expected, like, four episodes into this show. um, So I think it's probably a good show for, like, more mature, younger kids um, who are okay with a little bit of dinosaur peril and violence. Um, but I don't think it's... I don't think it skews as old as the main cast who are like various degree of teenager in high school. Um, Like at least one of them is like 16 Um, that anyone in that age group is going to find much to enjoy in this program. But I think it's good for like younger kids um, provided you watch it within a parent and like, or an a guardian of some kind that can kind of help guide you through any sorts of the, like more violent stuff, um, so I think it's I think it's good for that, um, but yeah, it's just a show that it's a hesitant recommend, but I'd also don't think is particularly good. Um, there's like long stretches, particularly in the end, where everyone's fixated on a phone for legitimate reasons, but it's just the only plot beat that they have, and it gets exhausting. Um, so. I think if they do get another season, I hope that they plot plot it better. And they're by necessity of how it ends, they're going to have to plot it better. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I liked it, but at the same time, I didn't really like it. Um, <laughs> it it's a very weird object for me, um, especially as someone who likes the Jurassic franchise generally. Um, this is just something that. I feel like would have worked really well, but also feels like an eight episode pilot for the show that they really want to do, which is going to be the second season, I think. So provided they get one, um, the producers have started teasing, um, a second season, which it wouldn't surprise me if they got one. Um, but we'll see. But yeah, if you've got kids, maybe check it out. But if you don't have kids, there's really not much of a reason for you to watch this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to now watching it, Yeah, um, no. but I am looking forward to watching more Duckdales. Uh This week we have The Phantom and the Sorceress, um, which is basically just the, the Lena episode, and I, and, well, and Magica, but I don't really care about Magica. How uh, dare She's you. a good villain and everything. Catherine Tate is having a ball in this episode. <laughs> yes, she is. But I, have, I care so much more about Lena, and I'm very glad to see, you know, from, I think where we've they pick up with her, makes sense from where we left off. And I really like where they end with her by the end of the episode. It's very exciting. You know, I I'm, I, don't actually love the new look no. as much as they want me to, which is a shame. Because yeah. I want to love her new look and I just don't. But uh, th- this is, I mean, it's just basically that stabilize Lena, make her a good sorceress and also re-empower Magico so she can pop up and and, you know you know foment chaos to make our show more interesting so bringing back paul f tompkins uh as uh as gladstone is great um the 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 baddie is all super fun and everything but it's it's all about the the power of friendship when those friendship bracelets started disappearing i was like no no, this can't happen on Ducktales. It's Nickelodeon, or it's Disney XD. It's Disney XD. Um, so, so how do you feel about it? Were you as excited as me to see this just like appear? Yes. No. Um,
2: uh, to answer your um, thing, tease from the top, very top. I did not know that this was coming. Um, so, when my partner and I turned on our um, TV and we saw it in our DVR, we were both just like,
0: "What?
2: What gift from the pandemic fairy is this?" <laughs> um so we were we were very delighted even though it took us a few days to actually get around to watching it um because we've had a very busy week um but it was just delightful um i agree with everything that you just said so i'm not going to belabor too many points here um it is very much an episode to get Matchka her powers back to stabilize lena i don't like the new look i very much do like the blue the blue hair though um, it's very good and I very much like it, but I do agree that the actual sorcerer look needs like three more passes, um, before it's something I want to see every day. And I'm hoping it only comes out when she's using her magic and otherwise she's just in the, the baggy sweatshirt and the collared shirt because that's, I don't need the other thing. It's a much better It's a look. much better look. Um, but I also really appreciated like the way in which this episode in particular, like Helps reinforce a lot of like Violet's characteristics as well. Of like, I'll be happy to shoot you with the magic amulet for science. Um, it's, <laughs> it's yes, no, it is for science, but a little bit deep down is just wanting to hit her with the thing, and I think that's delightful and very okay. Um, I appreciated the what has to be intentional Avengers. Infinity War, extended oh, yeah. homage gauntlet, yeah. with the gauntlet and everything, yeah. and I kept waiting for him to. I kept waiting for Gladstone to ask about Gamora and just ruin all of it. Um, but at that was really delightful. But for me, like the whole Gladstone chronicling his day without his luck was just mm-hmm. chef's kiss beautiful. Um, I just loved the whole his whole frustration with having to exist in a mundane world of having to pay for things, having an ATM, not give him... Did you know
1: that banks could be closed? (laughs) How do you people operate? And I had to walk here.
0: It took like eight hours. How do you do anything
1: on the second floor?
2: (laughs) Just all of it. It was just so good and so delightful. Um, So I really enjoyed that. The only thing that for me... As, like, a old-school Disney person. I was a little disappointed with Phantom Blot, um, who's Mm. a character that dates back to, like, the late 30s. um, And is one of the longer-running nemeses of Mickey Mouse. Um, I didn't think he was appropriately scary or, like, threatening in this. His gauntlet was cool, but at the same time, it didn't do a whole lot either. Um, So when the blot resurfaces and especially considering who that they got, um, Gina Carlo Esposito to voice him, mm-hmm. I expect a bit more. <laughs> um, so hopefully when he resurfaces, cause he's part of foul and they're teed up to be all the bads. Um, hopefully he'll get a bit more to do, but overall I really liked this episode. I was very delighted to have it. And I am glad that magic has her powers back because Catherine Tate is just ridiculous and, She's just so good in this episode. <laughs> kind of can't deal
1: with it. <laughs> yeah, the cards and the, 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 the handkerchiefs. It's very good. The handkerchief
2: gag killed in this house. I just want that on record. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what wins your week in TV? Um,
2: I'm going to give it to DuckTales, just in part because of the surprise factor of having an episode of DuckTales. Um, but definitely uh, DuckTales. What about you this week?
1: Yeah, I liked some stuff uh, that we got on Full Frontal with Smith B. Um, I, uh, it was cool to see Eric Duggins pop up. It was there were some good. Uh, I appreciated some of the coverage and, and criticism around um, or analysis around R B G and some of the other things that are happening. I liked. Uh, I also I really enjoy on the YouTube channel Alana's like response email or like the the Q and A with Alana that she does. This one was about. Um, being like the start of school and everything uh, and trying to h- teach your kids from you know do the e-learning and everything um, but yeah no it's definitely definitely DuckTales this week. Uh, now we'll take a break listen to a trailer for Enola Holmes and be right back after this
0: Now where to begin My mother named me Enola Which backwards spells alone And yet we were always together it was wonderful. She was my whole world. Which leads me on to the second thing you need to know. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing. And she did not return. i on the way to collect my brothers. Mycroft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes. The famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. And now that. your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat makes my head itch and i have no gloves my god a wild woman brought up a wild child who will make her acceptable for society she seems intelligent there are two paths you can take anola yours or the path others choose for you it is time to find my mother the game is afoot. Ah. if i have to stay hidden from my brothers become something unexpected. <sighs> a lady. <laughs> You've progressed nicely. Is she safe? She's our company. I'm Viscount Tewksbury. A uh, useless boy.
2: You have to help me. I'm not ready to die on a train.
0: I'm not ready to die at all, and I wasn't going to before I met you. mother she always had a reason for everything her own way of doing things perhaps she wants to change the world perhaps it's a world that needs changing unlike most well-bred ladies I was never taught to embroider I was taught to watch and listen I was taught to fight
1: That was a trailer for Enola Holmes, which is the new movie on Netflix starring Millie Bobby Brown as the, uh, surprise secret sister of Sherlock Holmes and Mycroft Holmes. Uh, this is based on, there's like a, a, a novel, like a young adult novel series that I was not familiar with. Um, and, uh. So this is based on that, and it stars, obviously, Millie Bobby Brown, but it also stars Helena Bonham Carter as their mother, uh, who is the most interesting character in the whole thing, as far as I'm concerned. But it also does some really interesting things around, like, being engaged with the time period in which the, the Holmes novels are set and taking looking at that time period from the perspective of not a rich white man. And uh, for most of the narrative, a, a rich white woman or a, a white woman with plenty of access to money, we should say. But also, in, in, you know, it was so stark to me to watch this and realize, oh, yeah, I can't think of any Sherlock Holmes stories that engage in any way with politics outside of like vague hand-waving at like international things on the continent. And there was so much going on how have i never thought about that yeah. and the answer is privilege uh, but uh yeah so it was is it, it was interesting an interesting take on some of the familiar source material while giving it a new uh, perspective a new um, protagonist and ultimately i think i think it works i think you liked it more than i did though i think i, I was like yeah it's fine yeah. and it's, it's charming i would watch more uh i will ship the young the young couple sure uh and <laughs> No, that's not Sherlock Holmes. And no, that's not Mycroft Holmes. But, you know, as vague, famous detective older brother, sure, that works. Yeah. Don't tell me it's Sherlock Holmes, Twitter.
2: So I, I think we're roughly on the same page with, like, degree of enjoyment here. In that I do think it's fine. I think it's very charming. Um, I think that this is arguably even more than, like, her work on Stranger Things, a really good showcase of Millie Bobby Brown. Um, who too often on Stranger Things is stuck not being able to do a
1: whole lot. Just glowering? Yeah,
2: like, she doesn't get a lot to do. Or being scared. Or being angry, or, like, it's not, there's not a lot of beats to play. Um, and here she gets to play, like, a, a number of different sort of perspectives. And she also gets to really exhibit a lot of comedic timing. Which I think is really, like, my big takeaway is that she's very funny. Um... And I really appreciate learning that. Um, I have not seen her in either of the... Um, or in her the Godzilla movie. Um, so I don't know how she is in that. But I think she's very good in this. Um, so I think... Yeah, this is really, I think, kind of... kind Very charming, pretty funny, and very entertaining. And while too long at two hours, um, you could cut, I think, a solid 20 minutes out of this. Um, mm-hmm. Somewhere. But you could. Um, I think most of, as much as I love Fiona Shaw, you can just cut the boarding school stuff out, and I don't think that this movie loses a whole lot. Um, And I say this again as someone who really enjoys Fiona Shaw, um, and she's delightful in this as the lover of Mycroft Holmes, who just. more explanation on that, but in a different thing.
1: Especially when they established that she was is friends used to be friends with yes Mycroft's mother, right? Exactly, and and a long time ago, implying that they were like you know in school together or children or young women together, and they've drifted apart. So, like you're chasing when they established that, I was like, wait, you're chasing after your former friend's son because. He's coming up in the world, and he's so dreamy. Like, that's so much more complicated than you want to get into, yes.
2: No, it is. Uh, movie. Movie.
1: <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Whatever. We'll get there. Yeah. This feels more like a TV pilot than it does like a movie. Yeah, but we'll get there in a second. Um. So,
2: yeah. So, I think that if you cut that, it's good. Um. And at its core, I think it's a really, I think it's a very solid, like, For a lot of this, I likened it to a really high production value, sort of, like, live-action Disney film from, like, the 90s, um, where it's a solid romp for all ages, almost, kind of deal, Um, but particularly for, like, a younger set. Um, But it's a good, I think, overall family film. Is it Sherlock Holmes? No. Is it Mycroft Holmes? No. Is Henry Cavill pretty solid in this, though? Yes. (laughs) Um, and as, um, a friend of my partner and I's pointed out on Twitter, it's really weird to see Henry Cavill in what is obviously his post-Witcher body doing this Mm -hmm. movie and just waiting to see him burst out of those clothes because he's still so jacked. Um, but at the same time, it gives him that stiffness that you want Holmes to have because if he moves too much, those clothes are going to rip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um. But I think overall, like the mystery, solid. It's a direct adaptation of the first book in the in the novel series. Um. But like you, I think that all the political stuff is also one of the best things in it, and the ways in which it explores and deals with that, and kind of gets into the muck of that, I think works really well. And it's to the show's see, I'm doing it now too to the movie's advantage. Um, so I think it helps elevate the material beyond, like, a basic romp. So, yes, I, I, it gets a thumbs up from me. Um, but, yeah, I think it's good.
1: Mm-hmm. I, you know, what I was thinking of as I was watching this, I was appreciating Drunk History. Yeah. Because if I hadn't seen Drunk History, I would not have known about the Suffragettes And when they go and you find out that she's got, uh, jiu training, I'd have been like, seriously we have to make everybody have martial arts fight like she has to f- be able to physically fight. Like, but no that was a thing yes. that absolutely was a thing and it makes complete sense and yeah with her with her mother being involved in the suffragette movement it makes total sense that she would be trained that this would be a thing that was happening that she would want training and and want her daughter to have so yeah uh, so they're just you know there these gaps that that could pop up that do pop up in your knowledge if all you learn is them just whatever's happens to be covered in your school and you don't seek out more information. You don't seek out more sources. And that's one of them. they talked about suffragettes, they talked about voting. They didn't talk about scrapping in the street with bricks um and uh, bricks and purses. Uh, and, and so like, there's the fact that the, this incorporates that, but doesn't make a thing of it and doesn't, Yeah, like there's several elements to this that I really appreciated. For that, just that, just that choice, you know. So like the jujitsu is one. Um, Doing the uh, like having the the keeper of the the tea shop be a woman of color is another one. Really appreciate that having like some of these other, you know, conversations. Yeah, the 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 whole um, the I guess the grand. Uh, dom of the thing of the piece, the the Marquise Marquez, um, his grandmother, um, and her approach to duty. It's very it's very Downton, yes. But it feels it doesn't feel like a retread of Downton. It feels in the piece of a piece with that, um, in a, of a sensibility that ties in with that. Which I you know, it's just, I think I think a lot of it really works. I agree that it's too long. Um, but I do think the pacing works pretty well, especially around the market, Marquise, um, Mar- Marquis, sorry, the Marquis and, um, the, the amount of time with, and then without the useless boy, I think also works yes. really well. I also, it, while it's not Sherlock Holmes, uh, the reactions of him at, at reading the paper and going, Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And just like, I, I, I thought that those were appropriately big enough for us to notice them and small enough that if you weren't looking you might miss it and i appreciate that they didn't hold your hand with some, with watching sherlock figure things out um and just he's he could figure this out really quickly he just is doing other things and doesn't care yeah. and mycroft so apparently just noticing things isn't
2: filing that brain. guy yet mycroft apparently isn't mycroft yet which is weird
1: yeah um well the notion that mycroft is just not quick is very strange why would you choose that for your your characterization, because that's, that's not Mycroft Holmes. It's not more interesting that way. Um, it doesn't make sense, but, um, okay. Did you have any other thoughts on the, the, the other performances or the pacing or the the way it's shot? Any of that stuff? Um, I think it's like, it's very competently shot. (laughs) Um,
2: -hmm. I don't think that there's a lot of like, um, like particularly inventive stuff. Um, I think the fight choreography is solid. Um, there's enough of it that you get a good sense of it and it's shot well. Um, I do appreciate the fourth wall breaking and the voiceover narration. I think generally are good. Um, and I'm normally not big on like narration sometimes, but here I think it really works, especially as like an introduction to Enola. Um, but the fourth wall stuff I also think works and I like it. Um, because I think it helps keep us within Enola's perspective and, I think that's really important, especially when we're meeting the character um, for the first time. I think it's really, really important. But it also gives us a lot more of her sense of her personality, um, especially given the fact that she's, like her name backwards, alone for significant chunks of the movie. um, And having her provide that commentary propels the action and gives us a better sense of who she is, which I also very much appreciate. Yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely. agree uh fun costumes yes the costuming is (laughs) the costuming across
2: the board is very good and i like the fact that they turned that into a runner but also she's spending so much money on buying men's clothes that she should just buy a few sets of men's clothes
1: (laughs) (laughs) clearly right yeah well let's talk about some of these larger conversations around this and the biggest one for me is i watched this and went okay so this is not a movie this is a tv movie this is like a TV movie of the week and kind of thing calling harkening back to like when there used to be like Columbo hour and a half long movies that would there'd be like three or four shows and they would cycle yeah. out and you'd have, you know, every, the first week of each month would be in an, another Columbo movie and the next week would be, you know, Murder, She Wrote or, you know, different things like that. And uh, even though I know, listeners i don't don't at me i know murder she wrote is a different thing from columbo they had different they
2: were on different networks, networks and channels. but yes your entire yes. idea of uh columbo on nbc the concept of a circus show yeah. basically yeah circus wheel
1: yeah 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 so like this feels much more like that and it feels like they're looking to launch a franchise um but they don't want to launch a film franchise cuz that's too expensive they're scaling it down um and keeping it like so even just starting out with it's a book series right it's not just one book yeah i
2: think there are 4 to 6 books somewhere in that range
1: yeah they like they're like hey this would be a good idea for us Let's, this is the kind of thing we're looking at doing um i i'm excited about that i wish more tv shows tv networks did stuff like that i that's what i expected for, for coronavirus and everything is that that we'd get more events happening and where where you know networks dusted off their libraries and catalogs and had like event movie tv movie things happening as opposed to trying to just churn out pandemic versions of game shows and also like half finished episodes of shows that they were struggling to get done um what what did you think of, of this in that you know sort of tone that it has so i definitely
2: agree with you that it's they're very clearly wanting to launch a franchise, and Brown as well as the uh, movie's director um, Henry uh, Harry Bradbeer uh, are fully intent on developing a sequel. Um, we should note that Brown, along with her sister, are producers on are the producers yeah. of this, which is also a really good sign in terms of the perspectives that the movie has, but also the perspective that future movies might also have. Uh, Brown has a degree of creative control over this that I think is really important. Um, But I agree with you that this is very much the launch of a franchise in some way, shape, or form. Um, And I think it was originally supposed to get theatrical distribution, but then something went wrong or it shifted, Um, probably related to the pandemic, but don't quote me on that. Um, but Netflix definitely only got the rights to it in April of this year. Um, so I think it was supposed to get released in theaters at some point over the course of the year and then just got punted. Um, mainly because it's co-produced through Legendary Pictures who are responsible for a slew of action movies. Um, and it's a little weird for them to have really something direct to streaming like this. Um, but it makes sense to me for to treat this like a very long pilot, a very long and expensive pilot for a film series almost in a lot of ways. Um, And I feel that way about Old Guard as well, which premiered earlier uh, this year, uh, the Charlize Theron, um, Immortal Assassins, Mercenaries uh, movie, uh, which is also fine. It was good. I enjoyed it. But it is also a very long, expensive TV pilot um, Mm -hmm. that just... Even with how that ends basically screams and how it does a lot of narrative setup, and how the actual narrative of that movie is actually remarkably threadbare um, is intended to launch something else. Um, And it's a different sense to me than like launching a film franchise based on established property, even though both Old Guard and Enola Holmes are established properties. It just feels distinct in part because it's on Netflix, I think, as opposed to on a, whatchamacallit, on like the big, the big screen the, in theaters. Um, and I think that that makes a big difference in how we think, how we budget and think about movies um, and how we think about now television production. Um, and I think very specifically about like this Viacom CBS approach, specifically with Comedy Central and MTV. Um, about and very specifically, Comedy Central about how they're developing movies as opposed to television shows uh, for their talent because it's cheaper, because it's lower risk, potentially higher return because of how movies operate. How specifically these kinds of low-budget movies can operate. Um. So, and I think that that's really important to start thinking about when Netflix starts releasing these kinds of franchise starters um, in Old Guard and in Enola Holmes. So I think that there's something here that we should start paying attention to um, because I agree with you that it's definitely a potential for a circus, circus wheel type of program, but it's also just something that could be a really reliable performer and keep people coming back to the streamer um, mm-hmm. and I think that that's something to think about, um, especially if they start designing the movies very specifically for distribution on a platform like this, as opposed to something like Artemis Fowl over at Disney+, Plus, which was intended for a theatrical release and then got punted to Disney+, Plus without even the, without even the beautiful benefit of being charged an additional $30, um, for like Mulan was, um, But it's also important to note that Old Guard was also supposed to be released in theaters as well. Um, So I think that there's a weird conversation that's going to start occurring, and it's entirely the pandemic's fault, at least for these two, I think, specific movies, less so something like um, what Viacom is doing with Comedy Central. How
1: are you feeling about any of this? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the detective stories are particularly suited to this kind of thing. Um, and I mean, there's a reason that, you know, PBS mystery has been a thing for so long. There's a reason it's a very enduring genre of, of TV show or movie, but it doesn't most of the time, if you're doing it well, it doesn't need the spectacle of the big screen. Yeah. And I agree with that. And if you, if you can build a world with like recurring characters and like in the case of Sherlock Holmes, you've got the Irregulars, you've got Lestrade, you've got this, you know, obviously, you know, this Holmes is not Matt Watson. Um, but you've got like a, a world of characters that can just pop up. That's the kind of thing that gets more and more rewarding. The more energy you've put into your universe building with regular, like, you know, adventure serials, basically. Um, And that's the kind of thing that, works really really well in you know in a detective series you have your expert on this topic who you consult with or you you know you're on again off again foe who pops up and then slips away right it you know and that's because this is looking you're looking at stories that were based on magazine serials too you know it was written that with that structure from the beginning and you can adapt it into spectacle Big budget movies, like they've done with their Robert Downey Jr., Sherlock Holmes, which I've never looked—I never had any curiosity to to seek out. Um, I've never had any desire to seek out. Or you can scale it down a big way and end up with your weekly elementary, right? Which obviously mostly, I think, really works, but sometimes gets a bit repetitive after a while. Um, But I think this middle zone works really, really well for this type of narrative and this type of um, story genre, right? So I would love to see Netflix explore that. And, you know, I feel like this would be a great way to do that. Like something like Old Guard has so much more action and so much more like Yes, there are some fights and chases and stuff in this, but it is nothing like the kind of choreography they need to do in Old Guard. So that is has uh, this larger sense of spectacle. That's going to need more product- production time and it's going to be more expensive. But you can do a compelling and really engaging, low budget Enola Holmes. Yeah. Um, it's all down to your rating. So I think it's just it's a really great choice for that kind of uh, like mid-range approach. And I would love to see the show Take it, or I would love to see Netflix and this movie franchise, the show, take it.
2: Well, and I think that, like, to your point regarding Old Guard, is like it only costs like I think between sixty and seventy million to make Old Guard, which is ridiculous. Um, especially alone considering Charlize Theron's in it, who probably took up half the budget. Um, <laughs> not half, but she probably took up a not insignificant a, portion. A of
1: significant, the
2: budget. yeah, um, yeah. But seventy million is. B- relatively low for that kind of a film
1: that's what the mid-range uh movie used to be yeah. before that no longer they like, continue to exist as a marketable budgetable thing yeah,
2: exactly and like a lot of that is in part because disney just has pushed the market in weird ways and that everything's tentpoles now um, in part because Disney just keeps m- making money hand over fist that way. But we've also seen that with yeah. like Harry Potter to a certain degree with Warner Brothers and continued with the Fantastic Beast franchise. The mid range budget movie is just something that's increasingly rare. And going back to that, I think, is something that's going to start happening just because as we especially watch these conglomerates shed. Um, employees shed divisions um, and streamline what their corporate offerings are. Um, so Disney is like the outlier, I think, because of the sheer amount of properties, intellectual property that they own, that they can get away with that. But the real challenge of that is going to come next year when... Wait, what is our, what does our film slate look like? Um, so, But I think that when you do something like Old Guard and you do something also like uh, that Ben Affleck action movie with Pedro Pascal um, and a bunch of folks like tr- uh, Triple Frontier or whatever it was, which I actually watched and it's fine. It's not as good as either of these movies, but I don't go in for that kind of action soldier machismo stuff. But also um, the Spike Lee film, um, The Five Bloods, Five Bloods. Yeah. Five bloods? Um, is also something that like. We're we're trying to figure... Netflix is very much trying to figure that out. Um, even down to, like, The Irishman. Um, which I still haven't watched and never will because it's 20 hours long. It's not. It's like... But I also don't care about that kind of narrative. The point being that there... I think that there's going to be a shift back to this kind of mid, mid-budget for what is now mid-budget. Um type of filmmaking and i think that streaming and netflix as a distributor but also hulu think about palm springs um but also think about their deal with bloom house and the horror originals that hulu has as well as a content filler really makes sense so if you can get a good film franchise that is basically just a tv show but to your point like Columbo, where the episodes are just an hour and a half you've got a really good deal happening Um, that I think makes more sense than, especially when Netflix is canceling shows left and right now, uh, they just canceled the Dark Crystal series this week, um, after one season, presumably because it was just very expensive because puppets are very expensive. Um, but you do a series of Dark Crystal movies and the overhead's different, the budget's different, and the way that you allocate that money is different. And I'll just be really curious to see what happens, but I think that's where we're heading.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's just so much more exciting to see that on, for example, Netflix than on NBC, because there's no commercials. So they can structure it whichever way they want to structure it instead of having to keep, you know, disrupting the flow of the mystery. Now, granted, you have twists and turns. So that gives you, again, there's a natural um, uh, ease of, you know, adaptation to that model. Yeah. With a a well-written mystery as they chase down red herrings. But being able to choose that based on what is satisfying in the actual product versus we need to fit in six commercial breaks for an hour and this is an hour and a half. Well, we're going to need eight. We're going to need nine, right? That's much more interesting on, uh, on Netflix for me or any of the streamers than it is on commercial TV. Yeah. And I think that's a fair
2: point. Um, even down to like premium television, like HBO or Showtime. Um, I don't know how much of that is being factored into their decision-making. Um, I mean, HBO makes plenty of movies or distributes plenty of movies, plenty of movies as well. Um, so that's always been like kind of bread and butter for them, uh, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, this is very different, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to what comes next in this vein and, uh, yeah, listeners, check out Enola Holmes if this is your jam. Uh, if you're not interested in like young sixteen year old young female Sherlock Holmes kind of, you know, hijinks, it's not for you.
2: No, and there are plenty <laughs> but of
1: that hijinks. That sounds charming. Then, then enjoy. Yes, lots of hijinks, lots of puzzles and fun, fun aside and you know, there's a treehouse. It's very cool. That treehouse uh, is so neat. Yeah, yeah. Um, that wraps up our episode for this week. A few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating and review there. We'd appreciate it. Helps other people find the show and lets us know that you're listening. And you'll, you can also find us over on Stitcher and we'd appreciate ratings and reviews there as well. Um, my bag off and my final Drag Race uh, finale, uh, Vegas review recaps are up at the AV. Club, and we are. Bo- oh, you can email us at theteleverse at gmail.com. And we are both up on Twitter. I am at televerse Noel, you are
2: at Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate.
1: Thank you, Noel. And thank you so much for, I mean, always, but thank you for all your, you know, expertise and experience and thoughts on on this more, like this larger conversation we're having around structure and, and production, everything. I particularly appreciate it. Um, Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.